Hi guys, welcome back to Into the Bullpen. I'm Casey Gray, and today someone new is with me. April. Hello. <laughs> I'm trying something new in a couple of different aspects surrounding this episode, and one of them is I wanted to have somebody come on my podcast with me. And I'm really nervous and I'm really awkward, but April is sticking with me. That's okay. April and I, I'm gonna give her a chance to introduce herself in a second, but we have a we have a connection to this case that we're gonna talk about today. But I mean, it's not really like a personal connection. It's more of a Obviously geographical not. connection. But we're still gonna, you know, we're we feel it. We feel connected to it. So April, let's yeah, let's I hear remember. about you. Hello. Um hi, I'm April. Um, so Casey and I, and I have known each other since what, like three or four? Somewhere in that. Yeah. We were like backyard neighbors, if that's like any idea. And we went through all of school together. All of it. Um, not college because I left and didn't want to stick around. I don't blame you. I don't blame you either. Um, yeah, I went to UMD in Duluth, um, hung out there with lake superior speaking of murder oh my god we have to do that case next sure i'll drive 40 minutes come out here okay well maybe i can come to you next time if you have a quiet place i do i do okay so next time i'm gonna come to you but okay um continue continue i work with investments not like that really matters um but i remember this case a little bit when we were kids and i'm really glad that you don't like remember all of it because i'm super excited to get so how how this is going to kind of work is i'm i'm going to tell april this story and you guys are just you guys are a third party and april is going to basically blind react to it kind she's of she's going to kind of just she's with you she yeah. doesn't she doesn't know all, she thinks she knows all the details but she doesn't know all no. the details we were like we're just what? Gonna go through it like we were six. we were five five six i remember like some things about it but okay. obviously like i didn't read the newspaper back then right i didn't care like, exactly i was so worried about happened. coloring Oops. inside the lines and like cheating exactly. on spelling tests okay april and i we kind of we like to keep things a little bit lighthearted. we're going to try and make this a little bit serious but um as it should be but Bear with us listen give us some leeway there okay okay um, this case happened 18 years ago now, and there are still appeals in we the love, in the case. We love so, the judiciary system do of we? the United States. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get right into this case. This is the disappearance and murder of Drew Shadeen. Okay, on November 22nd, 2003, at 5 p.m., Chris Lang of Minneapolis, Minnesota, received a call from his girlfriend who had just gotten off of work at Victoria's Secret. His girlfriend, whose name was Drew Shadeen, currently lived and worked about five hours away from Chris in Grand Forks, North Dakota, where she also attended the University of North Dakota. It's a long, it's a it's long, a long distance like, relationship. Props to them. And like, think about like back in 2003, like you can't just like send a Snapchat and be like, hey, what are you doing? Right. You, you have to like FaceTime. Phone calls at like specific times. Exactly. Like you have to plan. You have to plan to have like. 2003 is a long time ago. That was ago. a long time ago. That is 18. Yeah, that's 18. Okay. Anyways. Okay. Chris and Drew chatted for only four minutes before Chris heard Drew say something to the effect of, okay, okay. Oh my God. And the call abruptly ended. 
He was obviously confused and he tried to call Drew back, but he didn't get an answer. And then a couple hours out, a couple of hours later at 7:42 PM, Chris's phone rang again and it was Drew's number. When he answered the phone, he didn't hear anything on the other line, simply static and buttons being pressed. Bro. That like, so it's probably like a butt dial, like when you think about it, but like, think about it like, was it? What the heck is going through your mind at that point? I don't know. I don't know. Pretty freaky. So there are conflicting stories as to whether or not Chris was immediately concerned after the first call was dropped or if he wasn't concerned until the second call. Some of the sources say um, he didn't really have a reason to be concerned after the first call, so he wasn't. Right. But then other sources say that he called Drew Shadeen's mother, Linda Walker, immediately after hanging up. And then um, Linda then contacted Drew's father, Alan Shadeen. And then just for some background, Linda and Alan had been married, but they divorced when Drew was three. They had a good relationship despite their marriage not working out. And Alan still lived in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And the source that says that um, Chris was immediately concerned says that after Linda contacted Alan, he immediately drove the five hours to Grand Forks right after hearing from her. Really? Like... That just says a lot about, like, what kind of person Drew is, I feel like. Right. The fact that everyone's like, oh, my God, something's wrong. I'm just surprised because this is 2003, and if she was just getting off of work, she has a cell phone. And Ooh. cell phones in 2002, it was like a, a before Blackberries. Oh Remember Blackberries? Motorola Razors? Yeah. Like a Razor phone. A flip phone? And, like, another thing is, like, you can't – you didn't have locations. No. So, like, if, so, if, like, if a call just dropped and you're immediately concerned – Right. I feel like you shouldn't be, though, because I feel like, oh, my God, like the call calls just drop. And you're like, all right, I'll try again later. Well, I couldn't find out for sure. Like if it said like because, you know, how, like, well, now we have iPhones. But if right. if a call dropped, it would say call dropped mm-hmm. as opposed to call ended. Oh. I don't know like what they did back then, but it, it seems like. If he was immediately concerned, that says a lot about what kind of person Drew was. Right. But um, whenever Alan was contacted, whether it was the first or second call, he drove up and he. it was reported that he found Drew's car parked in the Columbia Mall parking lot and he pulled up next to it and sat there all night waiting for her to come Wait, back. what? Yeah. And that's something that I really couldn't find um, reported a lot. Any other source I find doesn't mention that. But I think that that's a really important point to know. That's weird. That makes it sound like they knew something was wrong. Also, like what kind of... First of all, do you think that that's like, in your personal opinion, would that be like a good boyfriend? You're like, I'm gonna drive. That was her dad. dad. Oh, that was her dad. That was her dad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was Alan. That wasn't Chris. That's a long drive to be to be thinking five hours, and that's like okay. So from from like Minneapolis, if you're to drive, that's five hours. Mm-hmm. But he didn't live exactly. In, I couldn't find, figure out for sure if he lives right. in Minneapolis or St. Like Paul. Five six hours. Five six. Hours. And we're not talking about, like, he's listening to NPR on the news, listening to some 80s jams. No, he's probably thinking about this the entire, entire time. And also, like, that's – he wouldn't have gotten there until the middle of the night. No. And he still found her car there, which – that's why they're so concerned. But it wasn't until after Chris found out that Drew had not shown up for her second job that night at a nightclub in town, El Rocco – that he became seriously distressed over whatever it was that took place. Seeing as though none of Drew's family or friends had seen or heard from her since, which was extremely unlike her, Chris got in contact with Drew's roommate, Meg Murphy. Murphy then contacted the University of North Dakota Police Department to file a missing persons report for Drew Katrina 
Shadeen. Wait, what nightclub was this? El Rocco. What is that? You don't know where the El Rocco is? Okay, so. No, um, I didn't go to college in <laughs> town. So, you know. Okay, so Grand Forks is like three main roads right. that go east that and west. And then 32nd. 32nd. Um, Demers. And, and Washington. Wa- no, Washington is the other way. Yes, but Washington. And then what's that one at the top? University? No, no, no. All the way at the top. Okay, well, El Rocco is um, at the corner of Washington. Gateway. Gateway. Got you. That's it. Gotta yeah. zoom in a little bit closer. Really? Yeah. It's still there. It's still there. Yeah. People still work there. <laughs> Wait, what kind of nightclub though? Is it like stripping? No, no, no. no, no. It's like, it's kind of just like a, I don't want to call it a dive bar, but it's kind of like, have you ever been to the bun? No. Okay. Well, it's just, I don't spend time. Have you been in any of the bars in Grand Forks? Again, I don't spend time. Okay. It's just like a regular <laughs> bar, but for some reason, the Herald kept reporting it as a nightclub. Okay, anyways, so Drew Shadeen was 22 years old. She was originally from the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, but moved with her mother after her parents divorced to a small town in Minnesota called Bacoy Lakes, and then she moved there her senior year of high school. She graduated in 2000, and after high school, she was accepted to the University of North Dakota, where she majored in graphic design. Congratulations. I know, good for her. She was also the homecoming queen Oh. in her senior year, which was surprising because she had just moved there. Um, she was a member of the Gamma Phi Beta sorority at UND, and according to family and friends, she loved to volunteer. She re- she volunteered to teach dance to underprivileged girls. I don't know where she did that, though. I have no idea. I've never heard of like, anything like that. No, I've never heard of anything. Especially here. I don't know. That's what it said. And she volunteered at the university's clothesline project, which we've been to. Um, according to the university's website, The Clothesline Project is, quote, a powerful display of t-shirts created by survivors of violence or by loved ones of victims lost. The shirts tell the stories and effect of interpersonal violence on our campus, community, and state. So Drew was really reliable. She was never out of contact with her family and friends, and her disappearance was extremely concerning to everybody that knew her. That's why there was such an uproar when they found out that she was gone. Right, that she was gone. gone. Uh, The first step in a missing person's case is to make sure that the person is actually gone that I right. didn't just like scamper off and it being out of Drew's character to not be in contact with her family and friends was just not enough police had to be sure she was seriously gone so her last known whereabouts uh, was inside the Columbia Mall in the southern part of Grand Forks being as though this is no longer the Unity campus Unity police don't really have any jurisdiction uh, the University of North Dakota Police Department is a subsidiary of the Grand Forks Police Department and then they took over obviously um, one of the first things the GFPD noticed upon arrival at the Columbia Mall was the fact that her car, a 1994 Oldsmobile Cutlass, it was still in the parking lot. Obviously, her dad mm-hmm. was there. Um, it was also parked on the north side of the mall, maybe even a little more northeast, which is not where she usually parked. She usually parked on the south side or the west side because those entrances were closer to the entrance of Victoria's Secret. I don't know anybody who'd park on the north side. Well, I'm going to get to that in a second. And we're going to talk about, because the mall was different back in 2003 than it is now. But we're going to talk about that in one second. Aside from that, four things the police immediately noticed about her car was, number one, it had definitely not been moved. We knew this also from her dad, who sat next to the vehicle all night. Number two is the passenger door was unlocked. Three, there was a shopping bag in the car along with Drew's purse but her keys and cell phone were not found. 
And number four, there was a black nylon knife cover with tool shop printed on it on the ground next to the vehicle. A knife cover. Yes, that is correct. Police confiscated the security footage from the Columbia Mall, hoping it would tell them or show them exactly what happened to Drew. Oh, scary. I'm curious about how good that footage would be. Probably not good. It's 2003. I, I listen, because <laughs> we've all seen security footage, like videos. Okay, I saw this tweet, and I know exactly where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. I saw a tweet, and it's like, how can we get that crisp, clear footage of Mars? But every bank surveillance photo is... Horrid. Awful. Absolutely horrid. I don't know who tweeted that. I can't give them credit, but it's a tweet. Yeah. That's just like, I can't imagine. If it's not good now, considering how phones now are having, what, three, four, five different lenses on them? Mine has one still. Oh, two. Two. I also do the two. Was it iPhone 11? No. Oh. I'm not there yet. (laughs) 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 Okay. Okay, yeah, so I see it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for It's going to be rough. But she was wearing a bright pink shirt that day, so it's probably how they tracked her most. Victoria's Secret. That's correct. Mm -hmm. The next step for police was to trace her steps throughout the mall. Um, Columbia Mall is really not that big. No, it's not. According to the Wikipedia page, can you believe one exists? It is 710,000 square feet, and it's one floor. It's pretty small. So it wasn't uh, very hard for them to track her movements. And here's what they discovered. She worked at Victoria's Secret in the mall. Her shift ended at four. After her shift, she did a little bit of shopping. She went to Marshall Field and purchased a, I think it was a black coach purse. And then at 4.58, she was seen on the security cameras leaving the mall and heading towards the parking lot while pulling out her phone. Footage did not reach all the way to her vehicle. So that was really all the police could determine from the footage as far as retracing her steps. Um, they didn't really have a lot to go off of because whatever happened to her happened between security footage, catching her walking out and her getting to her car. Classic. Right. Also props to her for getting a coach purse. I know. Nice. Well, Victoria's Secret's doing real well in that commission. Yeah. I, I mean, it must've been, do they make commission? I don't know anything yeah. about what they make. Or That's a make. whole different. That's a whole different best story um i want to really quickly kind of explain the layout of the mall at the time columbia mall is shaped kind of like a cross and at the end of each wing there's a bigger department and help me out here because listen i cannot i'm not very descriptive so at the end of each wing there's like a bigger department store that takes up like you can enter into that store whereas all the other stores you have to enter from the mall okay so if you were to look at a map of the mall right now shields is the west big department store and jc penny's is the east the South Department store is empty, and I think the North one is also where uh, Sears used to be. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so if you walk through that empty South Department store and we're standing inside of it facing the mall, to your left would be like a small food court. It's not like a full wing, but it's just like a little extension. Got like Lian Chin. Yeah. Ugh. Maybe like pretzels. No, that was like by its own. It was its own Yeah, little pretzels was in the middle. Come on. Bodega. So uh, the parking lot of the mall makes like a full circle. You could really park anywhere, and you could be pretty close to a door right back in 2004 victoria's secret was down the west wing where like um american eagle is now oh and then target was the big department store in the west wing they had target they had target target used to be where shields is wow yeah target's really like upped itself they've really yeah they've definitely grown so marshall fields was the big department store for the south wing and I like this probably isn't the place to discuss it, but I don't understand why she would park in the north, kind of northeast parking lot, if she worked 
in Maybe the West. She knew she was going to go shopping. But she shopped in the South. And like, so I can't make it make sense, right? Uh, I try to take an, um, an objective approach. And the only three options don't make sense to me. The first theory is that, like, if you're driving from UNI campus, you mm-hmm. take right, you take Columbia, and then you could turn on that road right um, behind Alaris, um, and yeah. kind of coming at the top, kind of by uh, yeah. where Sears and JC are. So, are. to anyone who doesn't know Grand Forks, I'm assuming is like everybody, most people, everybody. If, if the the campus of this town, like going onto Columbia, you're going south, mm-hmm. and then you're taking like a right, so Correct. you would be on the east part of the mall yes yeah and yeah. um, then like northeast right. kind of where she and was her parked. yeah and her victoria's secret was on it was down by like you could if you parked in the food court you could go in and then just go all the way around or you could just go in through that you know that one little entrance right outside of yeah so that's Shields. like on like the west the complete opposite side. west side yeah and so there's this turn if she were driving from the unity campus to the mall there's a turn off of the main road which was columbia that kind of leads right into that parking lot. Obviously, I'll put a map on the Facebook post. But the issue I have with this angle, though, is that if she were to have continued on Columbia, there's another turn that brings her right, sort of right, right next to Macy's, where yeah. Macy's used to be, which mm-hmm. is where Marshall Fields was. Um, so with this knowledge, like, I don't understand why she would park there. It doesn't make sense. The other theory I have is that maybe she had intended to do, like, we were talking about she right. was like knew she was going to go shopping. But then, and maybe she planned to shop at JCPenney's, I think was still that department store. So maybe right. she was planning on going there and then just ended up going to Marshall's Fields last minute. And then the last kind of theory I have is that maybe she wanted a parking spot closer to a door and would rather walk farther in the mall as opposed right. to walk farther out from the parking lot. I don't blame her for that. Right. Because parking like, lots are... Especially like We've this all mall. been in a parking lot. They're well, not the They don't work. Best, no. And like Poor also, lighting. it's winter. Yeah, so it's cold. Oh, it is winter, isn't it's, it? It's almost Thanksgiving. It's that cold. changes things. Also, if she got off at four, it's gonna be dark out. It's gonna like, be dark out. That's correct. Like gets mm-hmm. dark at like four, four thirty, and she doesn't even leave until five. So it's even darker. Yeah, it's anyone who doesn't live in, in the, the Midwest. Midwest in the winter, basically, like it gets dark at like four thirty. Mm-hmm. It doesn't and get then like the sun comes up at like what like eight thirty eight. It's ridiculous, but okay. I've done that. Parked at a different door at the same mall, just so that I would like I'd rather walk right. a farther distance inside the mall than be right. outside and it's cold. Right, especially because like you want to be closer to the door because it's cold. Also, mm-hmm. for women who have to think about these kinds of Lights. things, you like light and exactly. like the ability to get to safety quicker in case there was an issue, which there was. Exactly. Exactly. So police at this point have to focus on other things. Obviously they didn't get too much from the security footage yet. The next item on their list is that second phone call that Chris Lang received at like 740 something, Mm -hmm. right? They knew that she was gone before this, so they wanted to focus on it. So they obtained her phone records and they determined that the 740 something PM phone call that he received that night originated from a rest stop outside of Crookston, Minnesota. Which is like, right across. It's like, like what is it? Like 30, 25 miles? Like 30 minute drive right across. Exactly, right across the border. Police are making connections already at this point, but they don't really release a lot of information in the first day or two or three that Drew is missing. 
Then the local newspaper, the Grand Forks Herald, didn't even release a press release until two days later. Like they had already had a suspect and they posted it in the newspaper before they posted before they released any information, according to their archives. Now, if they had any other press releases, like the police department or anything, mm-hmm. I couldn't access anything besides the Grand Forks Herald archives. Right. So when police are making these connections, the University of North Dakota community and in particular, in particular, the sorority drew as a member of Gamma Phi Beta, as well as her family and friends rallied together to look for her. Her family immediately went to work. They set up a website. They created a tip line and thousands of volunteers were searching the area for her. See, and this is what I remember. I remember. Yes. So I remember like we went to a smaller school, I guess, where mm-hmm. like the moms were like really involved and everything. Oh. And they're all, they call themselves like, they have like a mommy name, name for like sports. Exactly. And so they're like, they're really involved in like their kid's school. Mm-hmm. So they were like around all the time. And all I remember the they were all wearing these shirts for Drew. They and were they wearing? Had, I remember. I do not remember that. Johanna's mom and... Her mom specifically, that's the only person I remember, okay. but she would wear the shirt with Drew's name and Becca's mom too. Oh, okay. I don't remember Don wearing any. Maybe she, I think I do because I remember being somewhere for something, but it was probably like a sports game, but mm-hmm. they're all wearing these shirts and they had like the button. The button. The button. Okay. Like this big button. Not yes. like. Yes. I remember the like button. The like, size of like a large cookie. Or like, like a there were, yeah. I was thinking more of like a two D kind of I, thing. I get it. I get it. Man, I do not remember. I that's like what I. That's probably the only thing I remember because, like I said, we were like babies. We were we worried were about crayons, crayons, and who had the sixty four pack with the sharpener. I remember, which wasn't me. And it was never me either. No. Never. But okay, so I'm gonna kind of take a second and kind of explain. Crookston in relation to Grand Forks. So Grand Forks is right on the border of North Dakota and Minnesota. It's so close that there's literally an East Grand Forks that's in Minnesota. And you know how I was saying that Highway 2 gateway that we determined was gateway, Highway 2, that runs, if you were to just take that road, like 20 miles, 25, 30, somewhere in that zone, you would get to Crookston. It's literally... It's like a straight shot. shot, Literally a straight shot. So... They're searching these areas, right? And um, every resource police had was used to look for her, including dogs and helicopters. Um, both states, right, are involved because they cross the river, which is the border of Minnesota and North Dakota. And Drew's parents put up a $20,000 reward for information leading to her whereabouts that same day, Whoa. the first day. I feel like that's a lot of money in 2003. That's a lot of money in 2003. I wish I could like figure out what that would be now. I bet I probably could. All right. Okay, we found this. All right. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. So basically, the average inflation rate per year is about two percent. Um, since 2003, Ooh. it was 44.06 percent increase of inflation. This oh is more gosh. up like my alley yeah, of finances no but that. if you're adding it to the twenty thousand, is actually close to like today's dollar just under thirty thousand. Oh, so it's not that bad so it's not that bad but that's still like a lot of money to come up with in one day exactly okay so we grew up in this area like we've kind of hinted at 
less than 10 miles away. We were in kindergarten at the time of Drew's disappearance. And um, so like we mentioned, we kind of saw parents, well, April remembers parents wearing shirts and buttons and whatever. And what I remember is my stepdad works for a family owned construction company. And I remember back in 2003, the company, which included my stepdad, his brother, his sister, and their dad, they all participated in one of the searches for Drew. And there was a photo in the newspaper at the time of my stepdad in his full winter gear, searching a field for Drew. I think I remember that. Do you remember that? I, I, I think I brought it to show and tell in like first grade. That sounds like something that I would, would happen. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So um, another thing I want to point out is that this area is really safe for the most part. I mean, um, in North Dakota, since it's a lot of farmers, did you get your learner's permit at age 14? Heck yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, so I got we, my driving driver's license. Driver's license at, at 14. 14. Yeah. So back That's when we were 14, driver. what was that? Two, was that 2009 or was 2011? that 2010? I can't do math. 12? 2012 was ninth grade. So 2011, 2012. Yeah. Okay. Because I remember I got it on December 29th. And for some reason, I just March 8th. Oh, before you. Ooh. I know. Well, my dad, because that was back then. If we're going to go into like a whole like North Dakota history thing back then, like you could get your life, your permit at 14. Mm-hmm. And then six months later, you could, could get, get your license. As long as you took driver's ed. As long as you took driver's ed, which most of us it did. It was two weeks long. Time. Yeah. But no, this so like you could get your license at 14. My dad didn't want me to get my license in the winter. Because I was born in the spring. Right. So he made me extend. But I still got it a month before my birthday. Right. So technically, I still got it at 14. And then I think, because I think it was 2011. And then I think 2012, they changed the law. So you have to have it for a year. You have to have it for a year or when you turn 15. Or when you turn 15. Which is still a year younger than most states. Most states, yeah. Like, my husband couldn't even get his learning permit, I think, until he was It was like 15, 16. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I had my driver's license and April both had our driver's license at age 14 and we would drive to this exact same mall by ourselves. Like yeah. I remember the thing to do. There wasn't gra- much to do. Was to just go to the mall. You just go to the mall. And you just walk around hoping you saw cute boys right. or Target. Got a deal. Target wasn't Target. there. No, it wasn't there. But I'm saying but it's, it's like, like right across the you street. You go to Target, you go to the mall. Exactly. Maybe a movie. And then you go home. And then you go home. And that's it. That's all we did. It's the only the only freedom we really had. Exactly. Yeah, but it was it was a pretty safe community. Mm-hmm. So when this happened, everybody was like shocked. People were just it's so like, surprised. It's not a place for people to like go missing. Anytime there's like anyone missing or there's like any sort of death, yeah, everybody's like, what the heck? Right. Any sort of violence, even like now, like mm-hmm. it, they're still very much yeah. the same place. It's the exact same. It hasn't changed. So three days after Drew's disappearance on November 25th, 2003, a shoe was found under a bridge in Crookston, Minnesota. It was a black nine West shoe. I see she had good taste. The shoe was shown to Meg Murphy, which if you don't remember, that's Drew's roommate. And she identified it as matching the shoes that she thought Drew was wearing that day. So I really couldn't find an exact account of what I'm going to mention next, but bear with me. A man by the name of Alfonso Rodriguez Jr. is mentioned in a tip to police and the Grand Forks police bring him in, obviously. There are multiple different accounts of exactly when and how his name was brought up. Some sources mention that um, he was mentioned in a tip to the Grand Forks police from his very own sister. Yeah. And some sources say that he was mentioned in a tip to the police from a previous victim. Oh. Maybe it was both. I don't know. Other sources still say that 
police followed evidence obtained from the security footage and saw him on there or made the connection. It's difficult to pinpoint exactly when they started tracking him, but we do know that he was tipped in basically right after she disappeared. Right. Um, See, he was on the security footage at the Columbia Mall an hour before Drew's disappearance, the same time she would have gotten off of work at Victoria's Secret. So he was probably, like, following her around. Here's a real question. Because, like... How does this person, like, just come out of the blue, right? What if he was, like, a frequent customer at, like, the nightclub, quote-unquote, nightclub that she worked at? Well, we know that she was taken from the mall because her car was... I'm just saying, because, like, what if, like, it wasn't super random? What if if he's been stalking her for a long time? Okay, we're going to get to sort of some of that Ooh. but that's a really good that's a really good observation i'm really impressed with you april i really i really should have gone into law enforcement for sure for SVU sure you really helped me out <laughs> honestly so okay so his story is that he went to the columbia mall but at the time he went to go see the film once upon a time in mexico i guess there was a movie theater in the mall at some point i mean that sounds about like it should be one and i don't know where so i my thought is it but wasn't there one at... There was one right in front of it. You know where right. Olive Garden is? Olive Garden used to be one. And, and then they turned it into a dollar theater because they're running out of money. And then they turned it into an Olive Garden. But okay. like... But I there was one in the mall. I'm, I'm, my assumption is, and I don't know this for sure, is that where Sears was, that mm-hmm. north, the big department store where at the north wing is where the movie theater was because none of the other stores are big enough for... That's true. It definitely could have been. That's my only explanation. But okay, so... He went to the movie theater to see Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and he had no, he didn't run into Drew. He never seen her in his life. Um, the issue the police had with his story is that Once Upon a Time in Mexico was not even playing in the Columbia Mall, oh. and it wasn't playing in any theaters in the area. I mean, it seems like a very so I mean, interesting, like, movie choice for a theater anyways. Like, I... I guess it was like a kind of a big film. Like I, I mean, to be fair, again, we were like five or we six. We were five, so like it makes sense. I've never heard of this movie. Let me look at because I, I thought that it was like when I in my research, I'm pretty sure it said that it was kind of big. Once upon a time, not in Hollywood, in Mexico. Oh yeah, it's like a whole. It's like a. It's part of a trilogy. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Salma so Hayek, isn't it? We love her. We do. We really do. Antonio Banderas. Is he's the one who is... He's the dad on Spy Kids. I love that you said Spy Kids first instead of Puss in Boots from Shrek. Okay, That's how well, I know I'm what generation... <laughs> so I know which generation you are from. Is if you Correct. say Spy Kids or Puss in Boots. Johnny Depp is in it. Eva Mendes. So and it was like it was big, big yeah. Movie. I guess so. I'm just uncultured. I didn't know about it either, so no judgment. So, okay. So in May of 2003, just six months prior to her disappearance, Rodriguez was released from a 23 year prison term. So and just, he chooses to go to a movie for just like yeah. I guess. To be fair, though, if I was in jail for 23 years, I'd be like, you know what? I haven't seen in a while. But you know that they have TV, like on all the time. Oh. I worked in a prison and they literally had TV. Did on. you really? I did. When? When I lived in New Mexico. I forgot that you lived in New Mexico. I know. You've been yeah. around, girl. I know. I really have. You've really been around. Yeah. They, That's a fun time. They have TV. They have board games. They can make a phone call at like any time. 
And they can also get TVs for their, like, cells. So it's not just, so like, I, men, like, it's working not just like out. Man. I mean, maybe and, like, it was different back then. Right. No, it's not. No, it is not. <laughs> like I said, my only experience is Law and Order SVU. Correct. Because yes. SVU is the only proper Law and Order. Correct. The only Absolutely. right choice. Correct. Olivia Bent. We love her. We really, we're here for her. Mm-hmm. Miss, Miss and Elliot, but it happens. It happens. But yeah, I don't know how it was. I don't know how prisons were like in 2003, 2003 through 1980. But um, I like how 2003 started that instead of starting <laughs> with 1983. Listen, which, math is not my strong suit. We know this. Apparently, you don't really pay attention in kindergarten. I did not. I was too busy playing with what I thought was Play-Doh, but maybe it was sand. Yeah, it was sand. Anyways, so he had been in prison on rape, aggravated assault, and oh. kidnapping charges. Oh. So he was a level three sex offender. How many levels are there? There are three. Okay. So meaning the likelihood. <laughs> so like he was up there. He was going to reoffend, basically. And they, right. they like knew it. And this was not even his first time being accused of rape, aggravated assault, and kidnapping. So it was like very high odds. Right. Yeah. So he, when he was 21, he was accused of asking a woman for a ride home in Crookston, Minnesota, which is where he lived like for almost all of his. So when he was younger, he like his parents migrated between um, Crookston and like some random place in Texas. And then they finally settled in Crookston. I think it said when he was 13, but I don't know for sure. So he basically grew up in Crookston, right? Connections. And so he asked this woman for a ride home. And then he pulled out a knife and said, park in my driveway. And then he tried to rape her. Oh. I don't know how that how that situation ended. Good question. But what? Did he live with his parents still? Yeah. He was like What? His, yeah, he was like in his parents' driveway. What? Yeah. I know. Who right? does that? Right? And then less than a month later, he approached a woman sitting in a vehicle outside of a movie theater in Crookston. As okay. he does. He's got he's got a weird thing for movie theaters. He really does. And he whips out a knife and he gets in the vehicle, forces her to drive to a secluded area, which is literally anywhere. Right. And then he rapes her. That incident landed him in prison for 15 years. But right. then in 1979, he was released, right? He was released at some point. 15 years after he was 21. And he tried to force a 69-year-old woman, a school teacher, into his vehicle. And she's just out on, on an evening walk. And obviously she fights back. And so he stabs her in the elbow and in the abdomen. Psychologically, I'm just thinking about this. He's really got no... He's just all over the board. He's got no type. Like, no specific like None. type of like woman. No, like, he doesn't hair care. Hair color, ethnicity, whatever Nothing. it is. It doesn't, doesn't even matter. care like... If they like movies, that's pro. That's his type. That's it. That's the type. <laughs> so him, st- I mean, the woman escaped. She survived. Good. And this Good for her. incident is what brought him back to prison for 23 years. He was also accused of another assault on a woman prior to the incident in 1979, but he was acquitted. I could go on about some more judicial things. It's ridiculous. 15 years to 20. I feel like if it's your second offense, especially. Right. I feel like it should be a life sentence. But that's just, that's just me. I'm not going to argue with that at all. So the day after Drew's shoe was found near Crookston, police launched a stakeout of his house. 
Alfonso Rodriguez Jr.'s house that he shared just with his mother at the time. I'm not really sure what happened to his father. I know that um, he's also the oldest of five siblings. I have no idea where any of them are or his father. I have no clue. But when neighbors were asked, they didn't notice anything unusual in the days before or after her disappearance. Well, obviously, he raped someone in In their parking lot. So their house probably had nothing to do with it. But they were, a lot of them were surprised that he was being considered, despite the fact that he has how many allegations? I wouldn't be surprised. The same day that police, you know, staked out his house. Is staked out the correct term? Stuck out? Staked. Staked? Staked. Whatever. Um, That same day, they launched a search of his home and his car, which is a red 2002 Mercury Sable. So in his car, they find a few things that are probably of interest. All right. I'm ready. So for one, they found a fair amount of blood. Guilty. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Particularly in the backseat passenger side by the window. Now, there were a lot of spots that were really small. Just like Like, small little like drops of blood. Like you said, like it's like it's splattered. So similar to a splatter, but we're going to talk about that when we get into evidence here in a second. But just keep that in mind that it wasn't like a huge stain. Right. It's just like a lot of little droplets. Um, Police also found receipts for purchases made on the day of Drew's disappearance from nearby handyman stores, including one from Menards for a knife that they later found out typically came with a cover that said tool shop. If this sounds familiar, that's because... Police found a knife cover with those exact words on it right by her car. Menards is not an accomplice in this case. Right. Menards is innocent. Save big money at Menards. Exactly. We're not (laughs) sponsored. But, hey, listen, I'm open. I'm open to. I understand you had the same uh, jingle since the 1990s. Oh, I respect that. But if you would like to sponsor someone. April's musically gifted. So, okay, so <laughs> some sources say that the other one of Drew's shoes was found in the back seat, but um, this wasn't consistent across sources, but I, I mentioned it. In the trunk of his car, they found a knife soaking in cleaning solution, like a, like a big jumble of like. Instead of just like wiping it off, he's like, I'm going to let this soak for a couple days. Well, and it wasn't even like directly in his trunk. It was behind his uh, wheel well. So it's like slightly hidden, but not. Right, but not. I don't know. I don't know. But according to reports, police did not seize the knife on the 26th because they were told not to look for a knife. What? Yeah, this knife was not seized until the 28th. What? Although I'm surprised it was even still there, but I'm sure they confiscated his vehicle. You? I don't know. This seems kind of... But like my thing is like... How is that knife still soaking in solution two days later? They didn't take it that first day. They didn't take it. What? what? I don't understand. Isn't the whole point of like seizing something is that you take everything for evidence? I'm having issues with 2003 Minnesota. Listen, I don't know. But to me, it seems like if they're seriously considering him to be the prime suspect, they should have been expecting to be looking for a knife. Just right. I mean, taking into consideration his previous crimes, all you have were right. You have a knife. Two, like physical things from previous times. You have a knife cover and you have a shoe. 
there may or may not have been a shoe. Who's to know? Maybe Cinderella took it. Right. I don't know. Exactly. But like the knife, I the think knife. should have been. There was a car. Huh, that sounds like hmm. a We connection. found a cover by her car. There might be a knife in his car. Let's I, check I, that I knife. Know. Maybe Menard sold it. Maybe there's a rebate number. I don't know. Correct. Actually, that is absolutely accurate. To me, it seems like police could have potentially lost an important piece of forensic evidence. Like someone should have got fired. Someone really should have. And then on December 1st, 2003, Alfonso Rodriguez Jr. was officially arrested and charged with the abduction of Drew Shadeen. His bail was set at $5 million. Remember, right now, they don't know that she's... If she's like, deceased. If she's... They don't know what happened. She's gone. She's just like... They don't know. She's gone, girl. She could they be alive. They don't know what's going on. Exactly. She could be alive. She could, Wait, is she this... This is after they actually did, like, take the knife, Take the knife, right? correct, yes. And the knife was the connection? Or is that just... Like, at what point were they like, we need to arrest him? Like, what was that? What was, like, the defining moment? I don't think that there was any specific defining moment. They're just, besides like, right. her blood's in his car. Right. They send it to a forensic, you know, unit. You know what? That's And it's like, oh, that's her blood. You're right. Um, 100% leave me alone. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. But it, it at this point, they don't know that she's dead. But it feels pretty clear that she's not likely to be found alive, right? Mm -hmm. So despite the small, very small chance that she is still alive, the North Dakota and Minnesota National Guards are both deployed to the area to search a 30-mile square radius on December 11th. They're only there through the 15th. And one thing I read is that it was like $50,000 just to pay the Minnesota National Guard for those four days. I don't know. It was the North Dakota National Guard. It was like 50, I think it was like $53,000 that the state had to pay them for those four days. That's not even including Minnesota. That's where your taxes are. So done. this is this is a costly search, right. right? It's a lot. Exactly. And it's it's not a small area either. And like for most people that aren't familiar with these areas, is right. it's it's flat and it's straight. It's flat. You could see probably straight like 10 miles. Yeah. There's like some trees. There's like, shelter belts, right? Is those, that what they are? The you know that like strips of trees that yeah. are like, I I've don't know, always like, wondered. Yeah, they're like right off roads. Uh-huh. Those are called shelter belts. They're like to protect from from like wind. Okay, so searches at this time were focusing on the area where Drew's cell phone last pinged, which was off of a cell phone tower outside of Crookston near right. a rest stop. That's the 742 called mm-hmm. Chris, whatever. Most of the searches are either based around this area and expanding outwards or just going around the area. So like it's winter. Right. Snow. Right, so they keep searching. And she's been gone for how long? Like a month? It's not quite a month. Almost a month. Almost a month, because this was the 11th through the 15th is when the National Guards concluded their efforts. How would they find... It's snow. There's got to be snow. There's no way that there's, there's snow. There's snow. There's for sure snow. I, like that picture of my stepdad, right. he's like walking through snow. So what are they... They're just going to hope they, they don't look. step on something or they use shovels i listen i don't know about how their search effort is but i think as far as i know they just walk and see if they can see anything like if there's like a body and right. snows over it uh-huh. you're still gonna see the fact that there's something under that you know what i mean i guess but if it's been if it's been almost a month and you got layers and layers of like snowfall I mean, I feel like you, unless unless you do have dogs, they do have dogs, and they also have helicopters. And then I'm going to mention something in a little bit about um what they did for bodies of water. Oh, I didn't because I think about that. Like the Red River is right there. Shoot, exactly. And to anyone who also doesn't know anything about the Red River, um, it flows sh- north, right? Does it? Yeah. 
Yeah, it flows north. It's like the only river. What a weird world we live in. But anyways, it's like a thing where usually like someone's like trying to go snowmobiling or something on it. Oh yeah, and they it's like a common thing where people like fall through the ice. Yeah. For real, for real. But like I didn't even think about the water. And that's not like like think about how many coolies are like in just in like the area that we grew up in. So at some point in mid to late December 2003, although exactly when is not, you know, corroborated across sources, officials had to withdraw from the searches. The first search that police did with, um, with all their resources, they had mm-hmm. 60 law enforcement officers searching. 60, 60. I didn't even know that they had that many I know. I, don't, I was surprised. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it was... Both Grand Forks, East Grand Forks, right. surrounding areas, but mm-hmm. um, but the officials had to withdraw from the searches. Weather's cold. Um, the average temperature in December at this time was negative ten degrees, and that's not not with winter, no, which is like negative fifty, at least sixty, like and at I'm minimum. Still, meanwhile, school and bus is two hours late. Right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> for real. So despite the police not being able to search, Drew's family and friends continued to conduct their own searches. The Red River is searched, as were various coolies in neighboring cities, like we mentioned. Mm -hmm. The dam outside of Thompson was searched. And what they did was they poked, I'm going to, there's going to be a picture in like my um, Facebook post, Mm -hmm. but they poked a bunch of little holes in, you know how when they go ice fishing, they like drill like down? I mean, I guess. Yeah. I don't go ice fishing, but I I know. You know what I'm saying. So they drilled holes and then they stuck an underwater camera down and then they would just like move over to the next hole. And they also brought um, cadaver dogs around the banks of the all bodies of water. So yes. How do they see, like, underwater, like, how do they see anything? I right. guess the Red River is really dirty and it's, gross. It's brown. It's brown. It's brown. I don't know how I don't know why it. it's called red. It's brown. It's brown. It really is. I don't know how they see anything. I'm assuming that they just see, the reason why they had to drill so many holes was because right. they could just see within, like, a limited scope, uh-huh. and then they just had to move over to see, right. like, a foot over, you know? But it's clear that, like, people wanted answers. Yeah. And then there are just no more new developments. Until the snow begins to melt in the spring of 2004. Right. On April 17th, birthday. your birthday. That's embarrassing. I know. 2004, five months after Drew was taken, a retired deputy searching an area. Some sources say it was during a search party and some say that it wasn't. So. Just decided to go out on a Sunday. Well, a lot of people would like just, I guess, pack up and like go walk around to like look for her. I really appreciate that. I will say, while I've never been a fan of, like, small towns or anything, I'm a big city girl. Mm-hmm. I do really appreciate that, like, people these small that. communities are just, like, they're still thinking of her five months they later. They are still thinking about her now. Like, I'm wondering how this might be graphic. Like, how preserved body might be. Well, that's another thing because she was cold. Right. She was cold. But she was also – so we'll, well, get, we'll get into we'll it. We'll get, get there. It. So a retired deputy searching the area during or not during a search party, just west of Crookston, found her body in a ravine, which is like water. Water of some sort. I water can't. of some sort. I'm not particularly. Small, somewhere in between. Everything to me is just a, a river. A river, coolie, or coolie, a or stream, a creek. Yeah. Creek. So what they were looking for is on the security footage from the night she disappeared, she had on a bright pink shirt, a black coat, and black pants. Yeah. So that's... I remember when I was reading this, he's 
he's saying to like the press, like all I saw was bright pink and then blonde kind of strawberry blondish hair, which was her. So um, Drew was naked from the waist down. Her coat and her shirt were like pulled down to her hands and her hands were tied behind her back. She had a rope. Yeah. Yeah. She had a rope tied around her neck and there are pieces of plastic bags stuck to it. She had been beaten, raped, stabbed, and then she had also had several lacerations around her neck in addition to the rope. It was reported that later the medical examiner could not even determine exactly what her cause of death was or if she was even dead before her body was dumped in the ravine. Oh, my God. Yeah. I never knew that. I, I didn't know, like, some knew, of these details either. I knew that they found her body. I always, like heard that someone found it like on the side of like a road yeah so okay so how it kind of is is you know how in like crookston or like even some places around the grand forest area is mm-hmm. like you're driving there's like a really steep ditch right it's like one of those where there's like oh. something flowing underneath because it was a bridge oh yeah and apparently um alfonso rodriguez jr he liked to fish on the uh bridge that her shoe was found and so they focused a lot of searches there because he, he had some right. weird, like, obsession with fishing. He had a and weird obsession with a lot of With things. a lot of things. Movie theaters. With, knives, maybe his dad left him there. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah. So, yeah. they, they I think they kind of expected to find her by water just because it, he was, like, right. kind of obsessed with fishing. That's just... I'm... That's, um, so even they could, the medical examiner couldn't figure it no. out. But also, she, I mean, she's been dead for five months. True. Comma, but. But, comma. But, comma. But, comma. <laughs> it, it is cold. So like at least a good portion, at least for the first couple of months until right. the snow started melting, she should have been preserved. But then again, decomp ha- happens at like pretty fast rates. Like, but I mean, if you think about it, they can even tell death from bones bones right Mm -hmm. but like the fact that he can't even tell couldn't couldn't figure it out couldn't figure it out could have been any of them could have been a combination of them i'm just i really hope that there's some sort of psychological profile out there for this man who like did this to her like what's going on in your mind Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and well, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more of insight into him and, like, his childhood and, like, how he was brought up I'm just a I'm excited. We love it. We yeah. need more psychological background we need, on this. I need, like, an FBI profiler to, like, call me up. <laughs> Tell me what's going on. Criminal minds this. Exactly. Exactly. So um, Drew's phone was found 20 feet from her. Um, her phone, they believe that – so you know how her phone pinged off of that tower? Uh-huh. Right up, it was closer to Fisher. Right. Um. It was online for 24 hours after that, but then it went... The, like, it just died? It just died, and they assumed that her battery died. I don't know. I don't know if they've ever even found her keys, either. Because, remember, her keys right. weren't, by, weren't in her vehicle or in her purse. So, I don't know where her keys are, either. I Why take know. the keys? Do you think I'm, she did, like, as, like, a like defense mechanism? Or do you think it was more like, I'm going to take these keys? I, I imagine... So from what I understand is like she was getting into her car, like right. sat down because her purse and her bag was wearing. Right. So she to some degree was like at her car. Right. So she probably was like holding them, like either even if she like unlocked the door mm-hmm. or like had them in her hand, like was ready to start the car when he got her. And I bet her initial reaction was just to like 
take them right you know that's just i mean that's just my interpretation I, i could be wrong so an autopsy was not performed until the next day so april 18th and the university of north dakota held a candlelit vigil for her as well i don't like that my birthday is associated with the grand forks flood of 97 and, and finding this, yeah correct true's body yeah so because she was taken across state lines case fell under federal jurisdiction and because it was federal jurisdiction this meant that drew shadeen's murderer could face a sentence that was allowed in neither state which is the death penalty so and uh prosecutors made it pretty clear from the beginning that they were going to try for the death penalty right so his trial alfonso rodriguez jr's trial began in 2006 in fargo where he faced the consequences of his actions again on August 30th, 2006, he was convicted of the kidnapping of Drew Shadeen, resulting in her death. And on February 8th, 2007, he was sentenced to death for his crime. Wow. So isn't that crazy? It took it took from August 30th, 2006, also until February 8th, 2007 for his sentencing. That's a long time. That's what else does North Dakota have to do? I know. Like, there's, they got nothing to do. Traffic. Traffic, tickets, that's about it. So according to some reports, um, his death sentence actually created an uproar with human rights activists because he was sentenced to death in a state that doesn't allow the death penalty. But it's a federal case, so they Mm -hmm. don't have jurisdiction anyways. Mm Because if you bring it across state lines, Mm -hmm. if anyone's not from the U.S. listening, that's like you don't get the right as a police officer being like, Hold up, we found him here. This is where this was. No, 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 no. Yes. Like, because each state has their own rules. If you have multiple states, then it's Correct. like like the US Federal. itself, not North Dakota or Minnesota. Mm-hmm. The US gets the say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, you're correct. And initially, like once her body was found, both states were kind of fighting over who would get to take the case. Minnesota wanted it. North Dakota wanted it. Right. And it did go to North Dakota, but from a federal standpoint, as opposed right. to state. So that's why he was tried in Fargo. But, like, they did they ever find out when she was killed? Because if she wasn't killed in North Dakota... Either way, it's across state lines. Across state lines, right. Since she was taken from North Dakota. So either way, it's federal. Yeah. Even if he killed yes. her, like, yeah. right next to the ravine and was just like, you know? Yeah. I was surprised that so many people were upset that he was being considered for the death penalty. I understand to the extent I'm, I'm not always like for the death penalty. I, okay. that's like a whole different It's a thing. whole other topic. For I, sure. yeah, I'm always just like, why would we do to like, why would we stoop to their level? You know what I mean? I get it. And I that's it. like where I come from. But again, it's also really expensive to hold people in prison for life. So for eighteen years, yeah, yeah. Can we also talk about just real quick? It's been eighteen years since the beginning of this case. That's not even his longest sentence. No, twenty three mm-hmm. years is his longest sentence. Years. So yeah. this is this is nothing to right. Exactly. That's a good point. But um, so, anyways, the federal judge was still set on giving him the death sentence, which I, I get it. I don't blame him. <laughs> I get it. So immediately following his conviction and sentencing, he began the appeal process. His stance was that he was, quote, mentally retarded and could not make, and if he was mentally retarded, that would make him not eligible for execution. 
but rather he'd have to be in like an institution for the rest of his life. Right. Listen, I'm not saying that that is not a viable option. I'm just saying. Um, have they ever done like an assessment of him? He did have to do an assessment in one of his prison terms. But then again, like, like think back, like this was 1980, 1970 yeah. something. And I mean, like mental health even still, like today was, it's is still, still developing and still growing. So, but yeah, they did do an assessment on him um, to some degree. and But they didn't find that he was like mentally ill, mentally incapable by any means. So, um during this case, mm-hmm. they had a, I don't know if it was a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Somebody had to go talk to him and determine whether he was mentally competent to, right. first of all, stand trial. Right. Second of all, um, if he was of the right mind right. when he committed the crime. And I'm going to use that in a second, right? So um, his defense also argued that some of the evidence, particularly involving whether or not she was sexually assaulted, um, should have been introduced. And this was the presence of semen. And that's how they determined that she'd been sexually assaulted is the right. medical examiner. He found stuff mm-hmm. in, in her body. Right. And right. They were, the defense is arguing that it's like too, she's too decomposed and she's been exposed to the elements for too long for that to be definitive. How is that not? De- they found it in her body. That's yeah. definitive enough. You'd think. You'd think. I you'd hate think. lawyers sometimes. I agree. I, I, I don't just, know. They're I, just doing their job. I get it. But I, like. Exactly. Right. And like, I don't know why exactly that's being questioned. Because to me, it makes sense. Well, where were her pants? Exactly. Where were her pants? Where were her pants? A shoe was missing. Which I, makes me wonder. If her shoe was missing on a, like, fell off on a, on a bridge. Was this a different bridge? Did they find her shoe in a different mm-hmm. bridge? Because yeah. that one was off of Highway 75. So, like, where... I'm just trying to, like, think of, like, See, my the thing events. Is, okay, he... Uh, one of his previous victims, he brought her to a secluded area. Mm-hmm. And he raped her. And that's what I'm thinking is, like, he drove... Because, like, all you have to do is drive out of Crookston for, like, two minutes in right. a secluded area. So that's what my thought is. And then he was probably... I don't know how her shoe may have gotten out if she threw it out and was like trying to leave a trail of like her personal belongings right. where people would be able to find her. And then it just didn't occur the way that obviously, she thought like, it was going shoe, I mean, I can't say obviously just because maybe her shoe like, like, fell really off. Right. But I would just like assume like maybe that's also like when the rest of like her clothes, maybe that was like when the rape happened. Maybe, maybe. That's but okay. I mean, that's. That's a good... It's not... We're never going to really know about that, are we? We are not. And, like, another thing that I read in relation to that is one source said that her car keys have just never been found. Right. And another source has said that um, they found it down a rural road off of Crooks... Uh, out of Crookston. And so I, I don't... I didn't include it just because I was like, okay, well, both of them are really conflicting. Right. Like, they're not anywhere near. Um, but if... They had been thrown out. It, it, it's speculated that he just chucked them out. So he could have right. done the same with her shoe. shoe. Maybe to throw them off the trail? Could be. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. That's, that is a possibility. Did they just keep her in the back seat, Or is she in the trunk? Okay, so we're going to get to that too okay. in a second. Got so many questions. I know, yeah, I know. I know. Okay, so this whole process is just beginning for Alfonso Rodriguez Jr. This is just the start. 
but Drew's family is busy working on something else. Uh, Drew Shadeen's family is busy working with the Minnesota lawmakers to stiffen sex offender notification laws, which rightfully so. Right. Um, in 2006, the Drew Shadeen Sex Offender Public Registry was set up by um, legislation titled Drew's Law, which was signed into law by President George W. Bush. Yeah. So, like, I don't know if you follow any police departments on, like, Facebook. I do not. Okay, I do. And any time that there is a sex offender who is, like, released from prison or, like, moves. Right. They have to notify the public. Right. And a lot of times they also post it on Facebook. Right. So Was that was that part of the law then? I don't know or... if it's part of the law. It doesn't specify. It just says... But it also created like a like kind of like a search engine, kind of like the Google of sex offenders, right. if you will. You can like type in a location mm-hmm. or the name of a sex offender and find out if there's sex offenders in your area and or like where that person is. Right. Was. Again, I just want to preface how small our town was. Exactly. We found out, I believe we found out there was one previous sex offender. And I mean, sex offenders can be anything from right. like killing and raping or like peeing in public. Peeing in public. And you basically just have to like, let the public know. And I remember mm-hmm. our town was not for that. And they basically <laughs> made him move. Yeah, he was forced out. So if that yeah. tells you anything about where we're from. Just giving you a little, just, just a little just idea. <laughs> so throughout the course of Alfonso Jr., Rodriguez Jr.'s appeals, he has been deemed to have been mentally competent, including throughout the duration of him kidnapping and murdering Drew. Thank God. His story was this. He was at the mall and he walked past Victoria's Secret. He sees Drew and he immediately gets scared because he thought that Drew was the woman who sexually abused him as a child. Yeah. So quick time out on his account of what happened to say this. Multiple sources have said that him being sexually assaulted while he was young could not be confirmed. Now, I'm not saying that I don't believe that he was. Right. But in my research, it was mentioned more than once that it could not be verified that he was, in fact, sexually abused. But he came forward about it and his sister also backed him up. So, but she could also be. She could also be trying to protect him. Protect him, yes. And I, and like, I, again, I'm I'm no one to say to like question to question. You've like, definitely not been sexually right. assaulted. I'm like, not going to say not, he's like lying by exactly. any means. And like I like I get it. There's like psychological issues with that. for sure. For sure, there's trauma. But, but okay, so let me just bring up a little bit more about this, and and then we'll. We'll, we'll dive in. We'll dive in. So during the trial, this was something that was meant to be established. And only three out of the 12 jurors were convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that this happened. Now, standard of proof, beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. So doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, I'm not saying he made it up. He is also alleged to have not had a very good relationship with his parents, particularly his mother. And it's noted that he turned to a variety of drugs at a young age. He was also exposed to pesticides that the defense tried to argue basically messed him up mentally. And they're saying is... Like, the reason I bring all this up is because a lot of people say that he will just make up whatever he can. Right. To get out of. Right. Like, was he what being truthful or was it like, is he a One pathological liar? Right, right, right. So back to his account of that day. He said he saw Drew working, thought it was a woman who sexually abused him as a kid, and he got scared and he walked away. He said he saw her again when she was at Marshall Fields shopping, and then he decided that he had to do something about it. Basically, that's when he decided this... This woman's going to die. Calling the police. Right. Or just leaving. Right. Easier. But so he waited by Super Target. And when he saw her leave, he did too. He says that as she was walking to her car, he followed her. And when she got to his car, that's when he took out his knife. 
hence mm-hmm. the cover on the ground. And then that's when he realized that she wasn't the woman who abused him, but it was too late. So he just right. panicked. So once she got, once he got her in his car, he held her down while he sexually assaulted her, stabbed her and cut her throat. And then to prevent getting blood on the back seat, he put a plastic Kmart bag over her head. We remember Kmart. We remember Kmart. But also we remember the blood kind of spatters, right? Like it wasn't like a full-on blood stain. Mm -hmm. And it's thought that this is from like a hole in the bag or something or dripping down the side of it. So um, these horrific details came out in an interview with a psychologist prior to the trial to determine whether he was mentally competent and determining whether he was of the right mind when the crime occurred, like I mentioned. So he basically sexually assaulted her right away and then stabbed and cut her throat yeah he might have like stabbed and cut her throat while he was sexually assaulting her too we don't really know for sure we just know that he held her down while he sexually assaulted her and then all this other stuff came at either the same time or after so which is pretty pretty horrific and even let's say that like he was telling the truth about his like childhood. Mm-hmm. First of all, that doesn't excuse murder or right. even like if we're gonna say we wanted to connect his to all of his other like rape victims and like mm-hmm. all of his other crimes, even if they were all women who kind of resemble this woman who basically Which they can't be. They, there's literally right. no way they all are. Yeah. I mean like maybe in his mind or something, whatever it is, mm-hmm. like by no means does that excuse any sort of if his actions. like previous sexual like him being sexually assaulted as a kid is the reason why he killed Drew. Mm-hmm. It's not the reason. It's not the reason why he killed and raped or att- or he didn't kill. I'm sorry. I apologize. Why he raped or attempted to rape these three, maybe four other women. Right. So it's not an excuse. No, by no means. And I like you think about criminal minds. Like exactly. they all got their issues, but that doesn't. Like, sure, they kind of, like, figured themselves out a little bit, but mm-hmm. they still did these crimes, and they're exactly. still getting punished for those crimes. To, right. You still have to also, go to I, prison. I really just, like, have issues with the fact that, like, he realized it wasn't her. First and was like, oh, you're still dying. Yeah, this college-age woman is definitely not the woman who... She's 22. She's 22. And when you were a kid, I think he said it was, like, when he was six... And it was like a much older woman. Let's just say, for example, she was 18. Right. At this point, she's, I think he committed this when he was 53. So at this point, she's 70 something. It's like right. she's old. Yeah. And so. that can, I mean, that could definitely go into like the whole mind psychological issue. Mm-hmm. But it's, I don't know all the I don't psychology know all the, of it. And I'm not going to And that's I obviously do. like, Something, if anyone is curious about something you can look into, or yeah. just like some sort of debate that you can For use. Sure. But regardless, For like sure. he knew that it wasn't her when he approached her and decided mm-hmm. to do it anyways. So he's still so he's still the punishment. guilty. Exactly. Since 2006, he has continued his appeals process. He's currently waiting a court date for his most recent appeal. I think that Drew Sheeting's case is one that shows us that there's a big problem in our justice system, among others. Among other cases, for sure. This shouldn't have happened to her. The criminal justice system was supposed to protect her from men like Alfonso Rodriguez Jr., but it did not. 
The last information I could find about his appeal was that in early 2019, he had an appeal hearing about the validity of forensic evidence used in his initial conviction. I believe it is still the semen and whether or not it was present. Right. Yeah. So in addition to the legislation Drew's case brought forward, Drew Shedeen's legacy is also carried on at the University of North Dakota with a scholarship in her name that was first introduced in 2004. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Missed out on that one. Yep. <laughs> well, you also didn't go there. So. I did not, no. Yeah. So that is the case of the disappearance and murder of Drew Shedeen. April, how much of that did you remember? Well, obviously not a lot. Not a lot, yeah. <laughs> I... I'm really shocked that that happened where we were. And I understandably why it was such a big deal. Right. And I also like, I can't believe that that horrific of a crime happened. And my parents still just let me like drive all over the face of the earth at age 14. And people wonder why women are, yeah. People wonder why women are afraid. April, thank you for driving 40 minutes to be on this episode of into the bullpen thank you so much for having me casey you're welcome it was either this or laundry just kidding you asked me the other day i did that's right april might be on another episode if we talk about that one case from duluth you know what case i'm talking about right yeah that one definitely have you on when i talk about that but that's a good one for anyone who's new here you can find photos of the case well not of the case but like in a like with in conjunction with the case on the Facebook page. It will be linked in the description. Make sure you subscribe. Leave a review if you want. If you want more of right. me and my voice. For sure. Let us know. We can make that happen. Yeah, we can make it happen. April is one of my friends who actually still lives close to me, even though we don't live kind of there. But yeah, um, make sure you like, share yeah. with your friends. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. Um, stay tuned for more Into the Bullpen episodes. Goodbye. Bye.